How do you respond to rules? My guess is if I were to like pull the room this morning that generally we would all fall into one of three categories. Like my guess is within this room there are probably a set of people who are rule keepers. You are the ones that when you see the speed limit on the side of the road, you stay like one mile an hour under that speed limit just to make sure you don't break the speed limit. And then there's probably those in this room, I'm just guessing, that are rule breakers. You're the ones that are like, you know what, that speed limit is more of a guide or a recommendation for somebody else. And so I will just drive however fast I choose to drive, regardless of what may happen. And then there's another group of us that are probably more in line of the rule bender. We're the ones that have heard this mythical idea that there's this five mile an hour cushion, right? Or some cases it's 10 miles an hour, depending on how much of a hurry you're in, that they won't pull you over unless you exceed that, right? And sometimes when it comes to how we approach rules, it really depends on the rule itself, right? Like, what is the rule? Is this a rule I think is kind of like stupid or it doesn't make sense? It doesn't fit into like anything that makes any kind of sense? Or sometimes it depends on who gave the rule, right? Like, is it somebody that I respect? Is it somebody that I fear? Is it somebody who actually has some sort of like authority that I've given them some sort of authority in my life? Or sometimes whether or not we follow the rules is based upon what is the consequence if I don't keep that rule. Like what how will I what kind of punishment do I face if I, you know, if I decide just to not follow that rule? How much trouble will I get in? When I was younger, my family took us on a vacation and we went to a bridge out in Colorado that's relatively well known. And on that bridge is this sign, no fishing from the bridge, which you've probably seen before in other bridges, right? Except this is the Royal Gorge, and if you've not been to the Royal Gorge, it's the tallest, it's it's one of the tallest suspension bridges in the world, like, and that, you see that rule, and it's like, well, that's a stupid rule, right? It had to be some kind of a joke. Sometimes when we think or hear about faith, or religion, the first thing that comes to our mind are the rules. It's about following a set of rules, and there may be a good reason for that. Some of us grew up with a belief system or in a faith community that taught that our relationship with God is all about following the rules. And if you are good enough, or if you don't do certain things, God will accept you and he will love you, but if you don't do certain things or you participate in certain behaviors, God doesn't want any kind of part of you. And if we have this belief that our relationship with God is determined by how well we keep the rules, how well we follow the rules, it will affect everything in our lives. Specifically, three huge areas. One is how we view God. If we have that perspective on God, then we will view God as always being disappointed in us. 
We will view God as distant, like he doesn't really want anything to do with us because of the things that I participate or do. Or we view God as this control, controlling God, like all God wants to do is just control what I do. It, it also affects how we view ourselves. We, if we don't keep the rules, we'll see ourselves as a failure or worthless, or we'll constantly leave, leave in this place, live in this place of fear that I just can't ever do enough to satisfy or please God. Is he going to one day, like, smite me? That's Old Testament, by the way. If we, if we keep them, if we, even if we keep them, like even if we keep the rules, the problem with that sometimes is then we become self-righteous. Like, hey, look what I've done. I'm a rule keeper. It also can impact how we view others. We will constantly compare ourselves and see either, we'll see others as either less than someone else or more than someone else. And not just in whether or not the rules are kept generally, but we will even start to distinguish between the rules. And those who break certain rules are less than those who break the rules that I break. The message of the gospel reveals something different about the rules. Because our relationship with God is not determined by whether or not we adhere to a set of rules. Hear me in this clearly. It doesn't mean that the rules don't matter. It means that our relationship with God is not reduced to keeping a set of rules. Our focus this year is really for everyone to begin to see how this message of the gospel, this good news about what Jesus has done for us with his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, is not the entry point only to this relationship with God. It's not just the ABCs of this thing we call being a Christian. It affects every aspect of our lives. And we've started this year by looking at this message that Jesus is teaching to a crowd that Matthew, one of his close followers, records for us in his biography about Jesus. And, and Jesus is teaching about why he's come and this kingdom that he's come to establish. And, and when you read or you listen to his words, you begin to realize how radically different this is from the way that we see the world. How radically different it is from the way the world is. You could almost say it's upside down. In fact, I think if Jesus were describing it, it would be his effort to turn things right side up. That God is trying to turn things back to the way they originally intended to be. And this morning, what we're going to focus in on is how the gospel intersects with God's rules or his law. So we're going to look at, continue to look at Jesus speaking to this crowd in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
I, I think the very first thing that we have to look at is who Jesus is talking to. This is a group of Jewish people, and my guess is among those Jewish people are probably also some Jewish leaders, including the Pharisees. And it seems like Jesus is responding to maybe some rumors that are beginning to spread about who he is. Because before Jesus says these words, he's already been chastised by the religious leaders for the fact that They've observed some of him, he and some of his disciples doing things on this holy day, the Sabbath day, that in their mind they weren't supposed to participate in and do. And so they're thinking that Jesus has come for another reason, that he must be come to do away with these things. Or maybe it's just the Jewish people in general. Maybe they're just hoping that this Messiah, that they believe that he, Jesus could be has come in order to change the order of things, to, to relieve them from these oppressive religious leaders, these, these rules that the religious leaders have placed upon them. Understand that in addition to the Ten Commandments that you read about in the Old Testament, in the Torah, which is the Hebrew word for law, there are 603 laws written. Now, most of these are either civil laws and how people are supposed to relate, how the Jewish people were supposed to relate to one another, or ceremonial law in how they were supposed to, um, how the, the temple was supposed to function, how they were supposed to celebrate different ceremonies. So a lot of those are that. But there were 613 laws of the Torah. And then on top of it, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the rabbis, they developed a, a series of interpretations of these laws, these regulations to try to keep the Jewish people in line with keeping these laws. These were made up something called the Talmud. And there were hundreds upon hundreds of these regulations that the people had to live with, and they had to live under the crushing weight of the guilt and the shame associated with not keeping up with the weight and the burden of all of these rules and regulations. And so they're listening and anticipating that maybe Jesus has something different for them. And into this tension, Jesus tells this crowd that he hasn't come to abolish the law of prophets, but he's come to fulfill them. So, so what does this mean? But before we see how Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, I think it's super important that we understand some details about God's law, specifically the Ten Commandments. And I want to look this morning at just three characteristics that I think that we see when we look at the Ten Commandments and understand why God gave them. First, it's this. His rules, these commandments, flow from or out of a relationship with Him. After being slaves in Egypt for 400 years, God uses Moses to lead his people, the Israelites, out of slavery and brings them to Mount Sinai where he is going to give them these commandments. And before he gives them one commandment, he speaks this. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, he says this. And God spoke all these words, these are going to be the words of the commandments, saying... I am the Lord your God. 
who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Before he gives the first commandment, he establishes his relationship with them. I am the Lord, your God. These rules flow out of that relationship. Andy Stanley in the starting point materials that we use says it this way. The Ten Commandments were a confirmation of, not a condition of, Israel's relationship with God. In other words, God didn't say, if you keep these commandments, I am your God. He is their God. And these rules confirm that. Here's why this is so important. The, the rules were never given as a way to establish who's in and who's out when it comes to a relationship with God. It's not meant to be like a club membership. The, the rules were given because they were already part of a relationship. More like what we see in a family. Our, our kids, in our, in our household for our kids, we had four simple rules. Four simple rules, and they were these. Hands, feet, and other objects to yourselves. In fact, my kids probably are scarred right now as they're listening to this. Hands, feet, and other objects to yourself. Use kind and encouraging words. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And delayed obedience is disobedience. Those four rules. We, we had these rules in our home not as a standard or a condition of being a part of our family but as a confirmation that they were a part of our family. And if they didn't follow, we didn't kick them out. <laughs> they didn't lose family status. They were, there were consequences for not following them, but losing our relationship was not one of those. When you read the Old Testament... You, you see this, Israel, God's people that he's speaking to as he delivers his commandments over and over and over again, disobey God. They just can't keep the rules. And yet God continues to call them his people. Secondly, his rules serve an important purpose for his people, for us. That they're given as a confirmation of his relationship with us for our good. The rules are for our good. And, and, and here are a couple of ways. First of all, they show us, they reveal to us how we were designed and created to live. For Christmas, my kids went together and they got me this really cool contraption because I love to do yard work that is this combination leaf Blower, sucker, mulcher, bagger kind of a thing, right? And if I go into where I have that stored right now and I decide, you know what? I'm just going to set the directions aside. I'm going to put this together the way I think it should look. Or if I, once I get it together, if I say, you know what? I'm going to take this to the driving range and just check it out. See how it, you know, see how it hits a golf ball. Or if I just decide one day to, you know, kind of lug that thing over my shoulder and wander around my yard without plugging it in, I mean, I could do all those things, right? However, it will never function the way it was designed to work. I, I need to follow the directions that come with it to show me how to put it together and how to use it the way it was designed 
to be used. And we believe that God created us. And as creator, he is the one who designed us and knows best how we were created to live. But there's a second reason that I think is even more important that we understand, more, more second purpose for the commands, it's this. The commands are designed to show us how far short we fall of God's standard. Because none of us can keep them. Romans 3.20 says this, through the law comes knowledge of sin. It makes us aware of the fact that we fail to meet the standard. The rules shine a spotlight on our sinfulness and our brokenness so that we realize that something's not right. The, the third characteristic of the law is this, and this is the one that may be the most important in a lot of ways. And it's this, the laws, when you look at them, the Ten Commandments specifically, are really a reflection of the nature and the character of God himself. They reveal to us who God is. Like the first four commandments. The first commandment is that it's about priority, that we are not supposed to have any other gods before him. The second commandment is about idols and the fact that we're not supposed to create anything with our hands and or we're not supposed to worship things that are not God. The, the third one is the fact that we are supposed to hold him in the highest place of awe and reverence and not even speak his name without that sense of awe and reverence. And the fourth one is the idea that God himself has set aside a day for us to be able to stop, rest, and trust that he's still in control and then delight and reflect and worship him in that day. And, and this is not because God didn't put these in place because God has an ego or that God needs this from us. God, if you think God needs something from you, he's not God. No, these rules are because God is God. Because he is holy and he is worthy. And if these weren't in place, if this wasn't true of him and our relationship with him, then he would not be God at all. The, the, the last six of these are basically how we are to relate with one another. That we are supposed to honor our parents. That we should not kill one another. That we should not um, cheat on those that we are committed to. We should not steal from one another, take what's not ours. We shouldn't lie, and we shouldn't desire what's not ours. You see, the reason that these reflect the nature of God is because God exists in perfect community with himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's his nature, and because there are three persons but one being and they're in this beautiful, perfect relationship with one another, this is a reflection of how God created and designed us to live also with one another. These rules establish how we were created to live with one another and a reflection of how God relates with himself. You see, these rules confirm our relationship with God. They point us to God, and at the same time, they reveal how short we fall when it comes to keeping them. And into this, 
And into this, Jesus speaks and says, I've not come here to abolish these rules, but I've come to fulfill them. So how does Jesus fulfill the rules? I think there are more than two, but I want to highlight just a couple of what I think are the foundational ways that Jesus fulfills the rules. The first one is this, that when you look at the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. The, the books of the law, the temple worship, the sacrificial system, the celebrations, the prophets, the inadequacies of all of those who are considered to be heroes of the Bible, like the judges, the prophets, the kings, all point to Jesus and the need for Jesus. He is the culmination and fulfillment of all these things. And when you start to read the Old Testament through the lens of, of trying to see Jesus in the stories and the laws and the prophecies, it all starts to come to life. Because when you realize is that the Bible isn't a collection of books or a collection of stories, it's one story. It's the story of God working through history in order to provide a way back for those, for those he loves so much. To provide a way to be reconciled back to him. Which leads us to the second way that Jesus fulfills the law. While the rules confirmed the relationship with God, Jesus restores our relationship with God. No, no, uh, keeping the rules or the law could never reconcile us back to God. Just keeping the law wasn't enough. Because when sin entered the world, it broke our relationship with God. It separated us from him and made us spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.1, Paul writes this. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. God himself came in the person of Jesus and lived a perfect life sinless life and then willingly died on a cross in our place and the death that we deserve he died in our place the death that we deserved and paid the price for us breaking the rules the law and he did what the rules can never do and that save us it's something only jesus could do we can't save ourselves by keeping it and when we place our faith alone, in Christ alone, we are restored back into a relationship with God, no longer separated from him by sin, but made right with God because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Paul summarizes it this way in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22, he says, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone, everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So given this, does this mean that the law no longer matters? Well, let's continue reading with what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 18, or verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass 
from the law until all is accomplished. In other words, everything that you find will pass away until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So from what Jesus says here, the rules, the commandments, they still matter. And I want to touch on four ways that I think that we see that these still matter. The, the first are for those who have not yet made that decision to put their faith alone in Christ alone. And that is that the, the law, the commandments, the rules, they continue to point to the need for a Savior. You can't keep them. You can't live on your own to God's standards. You can never be good enough. You can never be moral enough. To keep, and even if you've kept them, you still have this separation from God. God's standard is too great. For those who have said yes, who've put their faith in Jesus, there are three things that I think that we see that the law is still matters for us. The first is this, it, it really, the law, the work of the law becomes the work of the Spirit and, and, and the, work, the reflection of what the Spirit is doing in us. You know, since the rules reflect the nature and character of God, then His presence in us in the person of the Holy Spirit shapes us to be more like Jesus. We, we start to live like Him, and as a result, we live them. And it's demonstrated by how we love God and how we love others. As Jesus said, the summary of the Ten Commandments, the law, is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts all our minds, with all our strength. And we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. The second thing is this, that following them shows us that we love Jesus. John, in John 14, 15, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Love of Jesus isn't an emotion or a feeling. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's a decision to obey him and follow him. And, and, and the decision that we make, and let me be very clear on this, the decision that we make is to continually submit our will and to surrender our desire to the work of the Spirit in our lives as he makes us more like Jesus. Our motivation and the reason behind this is this. Because of our love for Jesus, because of all that he has done for us, because he has given his life for us, that we would be able to have this restored relationship with God. And the third is this. The rules, the commandments, they no longer serve to condemn us. If you put your faith alone in Christ alone, they no longer condemn us. But they continue to guide us to live the way we were designed by God to live. God's desire has always been to restore things the way that he originally designed them. This is what the Jewish word, the Hebrew word shalom means. It means not just peace. It means may God bring about things back to the way he originally created them to be. And, and this is the work that the God's doing in our, through his spirit in us. And, 
And what I hope that we would begin to do is I hope that we would begin to shift the way that we view God's commandments. That we would shift them from a restriction or a limit on our freedom to the thing that begins to free us altogether. That following and obeying God's design of God, who God is and how he's designed us to function actually frees us. There's freedom found in this. And we're going to explore this more next Sunday. Jesus came to fulfill the law, the rules, and in him, we are presented to God as perfect and holy. All our sin, our rule-breaking has been forgiven and covered by the sinless blood of Jesus shed on the cross for us. This is the gift of grace. And there's nothing that you can do to earn this, and there's certainly nothing that any of us have done to deserve this. It's all because of what Jesus has done for us already. Paul gives this perfect description that I think summarizes this so well in, in Romans Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, he writes this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this work that you have done for us through Jesus. Father, thank you for the law that points out our need for Jesus. And thank you for the law that continues to point us how to live more like Jesus. Father, I would ask that you would just continue to shape us by your spirit, that you would continue to draw us to you, that you would continue to keep our eyes fixed on who Jesus is and what he's done. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.